0: Listen him! There ain't no tomorrow morrow land! We've done that! He's got word stuff from his ass to his mouth!
1: Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good rifle at your side, kid. This is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
0: And I'm Julia.
1: And today we're talking about Minute 65, which begins with Savannah turning her back on the Others, and it ends with Max addressing the Waiting Ones with a rifle on his arm. Joining us again today is Casadilla, the Maven of Mayhem, from the Wicked Wasteland podcast and the Fallout Fanatics Facebook group.
0: Hi there. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back.
1: So we start off today's minute with a rather significant gesture, at least in my eyes, Savannah turns her back on Slake and Max, which I more or less interpret as her turning her back on the waiting ones. Am I wrong or am I right?
0: I guess you could interpret it that way. I don't. I think I could be willing to interpret it as turning her back on the idea that Max is Captain Walker and that religion that they have set up and what that religion means for their future. She is done with that future. She's going to go find her own future.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that she's not turning her back on the waiting ones themselves. She's turning her back on the concept that he is, that Captain Walker Max is... Uh, the be all end all authority. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm not listening to you. You're clearly not Captain Walker. So what you say doesn't matter. And she's just going to go out and do her thing. That's, that's how I view it too. So
1: she's kind of got the whole, they might be giants mentality of you're not the boss of me now.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: I kind of feel that the idea of Max not being an authority is what's fueling her plan to leave. This whole idea of the person I brought back was supposed to be this individual that we revere, but I went fishing for a bass and it came back with a boot. So now I need to go back out and find the real thing.
0: Do you think that she is still holding out hope of finding either Captain Walker or the other... Adults?
1: I think left. so. I think so.
2: I'm thinking maybe she's like going back to what I said last minute, where I thought that maybe she felt like her authority as shaman or whatever authority figure that she is was taken away when Max was proven to not be Captain Walker. I don't think that she expects to find them. I think that she is like, well, fine. If you're not going to do it, I'll go out and I'll find tomorrow Marlon because. Clearly no one else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. And they never came back. They're not going to come back. I think she's done. She's done all that.
1: She's tired of waiting for other people to provide something.
0: And she's in a unique position in the society where she took her leaving. Mm -hmm. She was so committed to the idea of leaving that she did it. She was the only one that did it on her own. Everybody else went out in groups Smaller and smaller from the original group, she was the only one that did it alone. She's the only one that ever found anything. She's the only one that ever came back. And that event of her bringing somebody back actually collapsed the whole system. (laughs) She's never been one to just sit and wait. She did her part and Mm -hmm. she took the leaving. She experienced that and she's willing to do it again. Slake,
1: of course very adamant that she not do it as she's going to leave he shouts listen him meaning max there ain't no tomorrow Marland, and savannah comes back with probably one of my favorite responses she says we done that he got word stuff from his ass to his mouth <laughs> he's so full of it his eyes are brown <laughs>
2: I thought this was a really funny line because it's true. The amount of dialogue that we get from Max in this scene is probably the most amount of words in like one scene that we've gotten from him that I can remember. (laughs) I mean, he's a man of few words. Yeah. And he's using all of his words on these kids that, as you said last minute, they don't understand. They don't speak his language. They have their own dialect and he's just spewing out all his stuff at them and they're just like... Yeah. What? Okay. We don't know what you're saying. Keep going. Sure. Sure.
1: (laughs) It's a case of misunderstood intent, but it's also a case of him trying to speak from an area of authority that they just don't recognize. They don't have his life experience. They don't know where he's been and he can say all these things, but they don't know him from Sally Ann. (laughs) (laughs) They look at Max and they look at the monkey and they see two things that are the same.
2: Yeah. Well, he's not Captain Walker. So why should they listen to him?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I find this attitude that she has towards him very dismissive. The only thing that he can be of use for now is to show them that it's possible to walk there from civilization. Therefore, it's possible to walk to civilization. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing he's good for. Everything else is just nonsense. It's just
2: jerking time.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Which Oh, now that is another phrase that I try very much not to dwell on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wonder this idea that Savannah has that Max is just full of it and he's full of word stuff specifically I have to wonder if the waiting ones don't put much stock in conveyed information beyond that conveyed information leading to them seeing it for themselves they're a hunter gatherer society so someone coming back and being like oh there's a bunch of fish in this area their response isn't oh well that's good information thank you for telling me the response is we need to go there now so I can see it myself. Mm. I don't think the waiting ones hear situations and experiences conveyed and take it at face value. Makes sense. With the grand exception being the tell.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they still have visuals for that, though. Yeah. And I think that anything presented through the frame, which I always interpreted as a TV screen. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. So
2: if it's on the screen, it's gospel to them. So if they say, "Okay, we found this thing and they do the TV screen over it like, well, yeah, okay, that's the tell and it's the television. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) So I think that it's, again, yeah, they have to see it. So if somebody brought back the fish and said, hey, there's a bunch of fish, see, they'd be like, okay. But if you just say, hey, there's a bunch of fish, but I ate it all. Yeah, okay.
1: I think the only way that Max could actually convince them that Barter Town is dangerous would be to more or less bring an example of Bartertown danger with him, which... (laughs) Would he, not be a good idea.
0: He is the example of Bartertown <laughs> being dangerous.
2: <laughs> he is the danger.
0: <laughs> he, His whole reason for being out in the nothing and making his way to them was because he was banished from that society.
2: Yeah, but the earth swallowed up the horse and the creepy gulag mask. Yeah. So, I mean, that's again, it's like he doesn't have to fish. So, yeah.
0: Right. So it doesn't mean much. Yeah. I think that pairs with them not having a written language. I think... They also don't have maps, so they can't record even on a map with a pictorial language. They can't record where the fish is. Yeah. The only recording pictorial even that they have is is the images up on the wall, the Captain Walker carved in the list of who went. The novelization goes a little bit further talking about the subsequent leavings and how the recording of the leaving was simplified each time down to when Savannah left, the recording of her leaving is just a stick figure. Yeah. A lone stick figure, and that's it. There was no more writing down the person's name. There was no more dates. There was no more may God have mercy
2: on our souls. That was all gone. Yeah. I have to wonder, like, how much of that is just memorization? Like, they know what it says, but they can't read it.
1: Right. Like, when you're memorizing something in Latin for a recitation, Mm -hmm. do you always really know what that means? I think, not to get overtly political, but I feel like the Pledge of Allegiance of the Flag of the United States of America is kind of like that. It's just
2: words for a lot of people.
1: When you've got six, seven, eight-year-olds, and they say it every morning, they put their hands over their heart, they look at the flag, they say it, and I feel like a lot of people say it so much that they just grow up knowing that it's a thing, but they don't actually like understand it.
0: Yeah, I don't remember ever like studying what it meant. Yeah. Like line by line, this is what we're saying, this is why we're saying it. This is the history of how it came to be in the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't remember ever learning
2: any of that stuff. And I feel like
1: it's the same with the tell. It's not explained. It just is because it's the story of them all
2: and especially the way that they do the sing-songy voice when they read about the first leaving the way that they all sort of sing song it it definitely has the sound of uh, rote memorization as opposed to meaningful reciting of stuff
1: it's like a mass yeah the catholic ritual not the state of Massachusetts, just to clarify.
0: I mean, those two
1: do overlap. There's a Venn diagram with two very overlap circles as far as that's concerned.
0: And music does help people remember all sorts of things. Growing up, going to church, I can still sing hymns from my childhood and I remember them and I remember all the words, but can I recite famous speeches from history? Absolutely not. But if you put that speech to a song, no problem at all.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. It took six years of Spanish through school. I can't remember much of anything. I have a few like ridiculously stupid phrases, mm-hmm. but there is a song <laughs> that I remember I learned and I'm not going to sing it because i sound terrible <laughs> but it tells me how to say i don't understand i don't remember and i forget and i know how to say those things in spanish because of that song and the only reason i remember it is because i hear it in my head and mm-hmm. it amuses me but yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i want to duck back to the idea of max losing the horse and the exile mask in the desert because The thought occurred to me, if Max had not lost the horse, if the horse had survived long enough to make it to the crack in the earth, it would have been a completely different context of him finding the waiting ones, because he would have come under his own power, but he would be a rider on a dark horse, which made me think of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and the horsemen of the Apocalypse riding the dark horse is famine, or some people interpret that as oppression and whatnot but it would have been an interesting visual i think for max to come upon this very peaceful very balanced arrangement (laughs) and represent some sort of malevolent force at the onset because he is showing up on a black horse they don't do anything with it because he loses it in the wasteland.
2: Do you think that if they went forward with that, if he was going to reach the crack in the earth, do you think they would have stuck with that color horse? Or do you think they would have switched it up so he maybe represented one of the other horsemen?
1: Like if he showed up on a pale horse? Yeah. Well, he does describe himself later on yeah. this week
2: yep. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: as someone who would ride on a pale horse. Yeah. That's a bit further down the road. Right. <laughs> In the meantime, we've got Savannah, who just epically burned Max with the whole word stuff coming out of him line. And then she looks around to the other children that are gathered and she says, whoever's got the juice, track with us. And I love the use of the phrase, the juice, because these kids have been living outside of the concept of gasoline all of their lives. They've never seen a drop of that black stuff, but they still use the phrase, the juice, to represent the energy, the gumption, the go-get to do something.
0: Yeah, and I'm really wondering why. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the concept of fuel would have been passed down from the airplane. The airplane has to have gasoline to fly. So, oh, I do think it's a bit of a stretch, though. Because most of them would have been very young children that were even on the plane. And by the time the plane crashes, fuel's no longer an issue. That thing could be fully fueled. It's still not going to fly. So finding fuel is not something that the people would be striving for. So yeah, I'm not really sure where they would get that idea. Well.
2: Okay. So the way I view that is it's sort of a language thing that's passed down. Sort of like if you take the term, someone's worth their salt and it comes from back when people would actually be paid in salt. So if you were a good worker, you're worth your salt. So I think that it's just something that they don't really know the origin of it. Cause there's a lot of stuff like that where it- You don't know the origin of the phrase, but you can find it eventually. I think they know what it means, but not where it came from.
1: That's like back when we were talking about piggyback. I
2: don't think I know that.
1: That was during the week that you didn't want to listen
2: to. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We made fun
1: of the History of English podcast. Uh, Because piggyback comes from the old phrase pick-a-back. Because you would pick pick stuff up and put it on your back. back. And over time people stopped understanding what the word picka meant mm. and changed it to piggy because mm. English speakers are lazy yes <laughs> and we change things to be easier to say all stuff, the time stuff that has a better mouthfeel <laughs> I love using the phrase mouthfeel because it just sounds so salacious yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> like moist <laughs> oh, stop it stop
0: it So this society, this language that doesn't have metaphors or idioms, has taken an idiom from before the apocalypse and has turned it into actual language.
1: If you went to the waiting ones and tried to use the phrase idiom, they'd probably be like, what did you call me? (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast.
2: (laughs) would catch it
1: (laughs) we need drax and the waiting ones to just get together
0: oh my goodness can you imagine (laughs) they would get along so well they would
1: speaking of singling people out as savannah is walking away after saying the whole whoever's got the juice track with us line she's walking by and another little kid tries to follow her and they get grabbed by the collar and pulled back like you ain't going nowhere no (laughs) you still need to be babysat you're staying here yeah
0: At first it kind of made me think about parenthood, which is very not a thing they care about in this society. They recognize that this little toddler was birthed by Kusha, but, Kusha isn't the child's mother. There's no like parental ownership over a child. They're just part of the community as a whole, which is why Savannah was apparently perfectly fine with leaving her son just walking away from her son because she doesn't think about the son mother relationship the same way we do in our society. You definitely
1: get the sense that Finn was more attached to her as he was like running up when she first got back. And yeah, she hugged him because she was glad to see him. But
0: if it had been another child, it would have been the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So was it Slake that pulled the kid back?
1: No, it was was just some random, just some unnamed kid. This is all in the background. In the background. yeah.
0: So my theory about that is not so much like familial connection, probably classification connection. Mm -hmm. Like you are a fellow gatherer. You are on my team. I don't want to lose another member of my team. Yeah. The same for Slake and his hunters. Those are the groups that form like another level of loyalty, not so much family groups.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, you could also interpret it as the entire tribe is a family. The way that I sort of look at it is they don't have that responsibility and emotional connection that you would now With mother, child, father, child, but they have the sort of viewpoint of like, it takes a village. Absolutely. So I think everyone is responsible for everyone, but they don't have any sort of increase in responsibility or connection unless they have like a romantic involvement, say like Anna and Gecko sort of thing.
1: It makes me think of, I don't know who's publishing it, but there is a Flintstones comic book that is currently being printed or had a limited run and then stopped. But the whole idea of the Flintstone comic book that they're putting out right now is that the Flintstones as a couple and the Rubbles as a couple are anomalies and outliers because they have decided to pair off as married pairs. And that all of these Flintstone bedrock Community people have been living in a type of societal group where it takes a village to raise a kid and everybody just throws their kids in a pile and everybody helps raise them and whatnot. And the fact that Barney and Betty and Frank and Wilma would go off on their own and have their own little familial units and still try to be part of the society is laughable to the other members of that community. So the whole idea of the comic, it's their story of inventing the social construct of marriage (laughs) and how other people just hate that idea.
2: It is a really weird concept because I think of Flintstones. I don't think of it as deep. Right, (laughs) because Flintstones
1: started out as just a family sitcom set in the Stone Age. Yeah. It wasn't deep. It wasn't (laughs) significant. It just was.
2: Yeah, bizarre to me.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a lot that's going on in this crack in the earth that's bizarre. Mm. But we're more focused on the people that want to leave the crack in the earth because Savannah and the others, they're starting to just walk away. And while that seems like the optimum course of action for someone following the advice of the Lord Humongous, in this instance, we don't want to do that. And Slake is more or less at the end of his rope. So Max decides to step in and take action. So he walks up to Slake. He grabs Slake's walking stick, tries to pull it. Slake resists and so Max has to tell him to relax.
0: (laughs) Would Slake have ever heard that word in his entire life before? Does he know what relax means? It's hard to say what their
2: vocabulary actually is. It's impossible. I kind of understand why Max doesn't change his vocabulary when speaking to them because how can you know what they do and don't understand? It's like they pick and choose which words still mean things. You don't really have any cues to say what they do and do not understand.
1: Plus, it's probably ridiculous for Max to think of anybody not being familiar with Frankie Goes to Hollywood and their 1984 (laughs) song Frankie Says Relax, (laughs) which actually came out in 1983, but the album is Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. (laughs) Oh. Oh,
0: was it a hit? Like, would it have been a hit during the 1985 of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome?
1: Well, I'm not familiar with the long-lived popularity of Frankie Glows to Hollywood, but...
2: It's still popular now. They
1: still make t-shirts out of it.
2: But what... Is there a canonical date when the end happened? No. no. Okay, so we don't <laughs> even know if that was out before the world ended.
1: Former guest of the show, Shem Herman, he did a video series on the Mad Max Bible YouTube page where he did his best guess as to where everything lies. So Frankie Goes to Hollywood would definitely have made its way to Australia before the end of the world. Okay. I'll say that much.
2: Thank goodness (laughs) for that.
1: But I'm willing to bet that slake has never heard relax Mm. or ever seen a piano key necktie. if you want to make a zoolander reference but max walks over grabs the stick from slake and then takes that stick back to that little mobile that he saw during the wind whipping up and he grabs a handful of the little brass dangly things on that wind chime tears them down and lo and behold they're bullets Yep. Because this walking stick is not just any walking stick. It is, according to the internet movie firearms database, an M1 carbine. Now, Cass, is it carbine or carbine?
2: I've always said carbine, but I have heard carbine, but I tend to say carbine. Most of the older gentlemen that used to come into the gun shop that I ran for a couple of years would call it carbine and they used them in the wars. So I yeah. tend to go with what they say, but there's other long-term mispronunciations that are existing in the world and they just screwed up just as it is. Um, yeah,
1: I would I would trust people that have firsthand experience with it because the M1 carbine was a lightweight intermediate cartridge firearm developed and adopted in 1941 as a supplement to the then standard M1 Garand. The M1 carbine was to take the place of pistols for vehicle drivers, members of crew-served weapons such as artillery and air, aircraft, etc., NCOs, and other secondary roles to the frontline infantrymen. Despite its lack of knockdown power, it was popular primarily due to its hardiness and lightweight, and was therefore seen in frontline usage in both the European and Pacific theaters of World War II, which explains why there's one just hanging out in this instance.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, before I go on to the firearm thing, I do think it's interesting that second 20, music comes in that is sort of menacing sounding. And I like that they put that in because it makes you question Max's motives and his intentions. And yeah. what is he going to do? And then you see, and I wanted to talk about the plausibility of this firearm functioning and functioning properly after yeah. being used as a walking stick <laughs> for however long. And so... Most likely the barrel itself would be a little rusty, but carbines being as lightweight and reliable as they are, it would have been fine. The ammunition would still function. I found ammunition that was 50 plus years old and it still works. It's fine. I have a firearm that is from 1938 and I have ammunition from around them too and it still works. <laughs> it's fine and it's in a lot worse shape than that thing is. Mm. So, it is totally plausible. And the accuracy, since it's less than, it's like less than 100 feet, he totally could have hit that. So, that is a completely plausible shot, and everything I think would function fine. I wouldn't use it for sniping. Yeah. But he, what he used it for is totally fine.
1: I like that they have the detail that Max has to pull a stick out of the front of the barrel, which means that there probably wasn't a lot of moisture and corrosive atmosphere getting into that barrel so all the internals probably pretty good especially because he had to open the slide to access the chamber mm. it meant that it wasn't open on that end either
2: right but since it was facing up i mean not that it rains a whole lot in the desert right but if it you know any other environment if it was facing up the barrels facing up you might get rain in there and then you know, cause problems but
1: yeah. I just find it funny that the lead tracker, the guy in charge of leading the hunters, has this thing which can drop a boar from 150, 200 yards. Not that far?
2: <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that would be fine.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's
2: just he has no idea.
1: <laughs> okay. That can drop something from 150, 200 yards with very minimal effort, and they're just using spears and sticks.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: He's got the power of lightning and fire in his hands, and they're just using rocks. Yep.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Which you really see that realization in Slake's face, it's pretty quick after Max shoots the gun that Slake is completely blown away by what his walking stick is capable of.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) One of the other things that could be and I don't know if it's, they're shocked that the walking stick can do that. And walking stick is a boomstick. What? I think it's also <laughs> the echo because if you guys have never, if you, either of you fired oh, yeah, firearms? arms bunch. How yeah. about in an indoor range?
1: Never in an indoor range.
2: Yeah. I, okay. So I go to a range and there is an indoor section and you're supposed to keep the door closed and you're supposed to put your hearing protection in before you go into the range. Every once in a while, somebody will not close that door all the way. And when a firearm discharges in a small area like that, the concussive force and the shock of having that loud sound in such a small contained space, it is, ooh, you can feel it. Yeah. And it is shocking. And if you're not prepared for it, like I know if I'm going into the range, somebody might forget to close the door and it might happen. And it's still shocking. And it's like, oh, oh, crap every time. But these poor kids in the crack of the earth, which is like an echo chamber, that's going to scare the crap out of them. And (laughs) one of the things that I cracked up about is like, okay, yeah, he shoots through the water skin and you hear the water trickling. But all I could think of was somebody's peeing their pants. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: In that shot, right around second 39, somewhere between 39 and 41, all of the kids drop because this giant explosive sound echoes through the crack in the earth and everybody gets down except for one kid it's kind of slow on the uptake look down to the bottom left corner of the screen and max fires the gun sound goes out everybody drops and this one kid hesitates then notices that everybody else is down and then lowers himself (laughs) (laughs) just you know a little slow on the uptake
2: (laughs) do you think maybe he has uh maybe he's deaf
1: could be These kids we've already seen. Gecko has a busted leg. There's another kid that we saw during the run down the dune scene that had his arm in a sling. There's going to be anomalies that arise in any social group. Especially if there's any inbreeding involved, which they don't have enough breeding pairs to have a sustainable society.
0: Right, but the society's not old enough that they have had to resort right to inbreeding.
1: But you don't have to it be inbred the... to be deaf.
0: No. no <laughs> I should no, no, specify no. that. It's not necessarily <laughs> it a
2: result of that. No, no. <laughs> like...
0: But they also don't know the social implications of inbreeding. They right. don't know that it's wrong to sleep with your sister. That's a social thing that people tell other people. If, yeah. It's just not... Animals do it all the time.
1: Yeah, that's... Okay, so it's the official stance of the Mad Max Minute podcast that you can be deaf without being inbred, Mm. and that Mm -hmm. you should not breed with family members. Yes. Let's get those two things out of the way, an official...
0: I am completely on board with those two statements.
1: We want to make sure there's no confusion on those fronts.
0: (laughs) And if there was a deaf child, it could also be from an injury. Yeah. These are hunter-gatherers. There's all sorts of dangers out there. Falling from the rock Mm -hmm. and hitting your head, accidentally getting... Shot by an arrow?
1: Now, I don't know exactly which waiting one this is. There's a possibility that it could be Tavotente, which is the waiting one that goes with Max and Anaguana and all the others later on. We haven't seen that scene yet, but it might be that it's him. And he, as a hunter... He might not be as prone to flinching. That could be it.
2: Ah, he might have nerves, nerves. of steel. Based on when we see him, I don't know if it's that he's got nerves of steel. I think if it is Tubba, then I think he is just slow on the uptake based on the, <laughs> like, oh, we need a hunter. And then like everyone looks and he turns and looks and it's sort of like, oh, we need a volunteer and everyone steps back and he's the guy who doesn't step back.
1: Okay, here's an idea. <laughs> tuba Tintai, whatever i'm whatever i'm calling i'm not gonna use his last name from here on out even when we're talking about him as introducing his character i'm just gonna call him tuba what if he was struck by lightning what if he was out on watch one night and a desert storm rolled through and he got struck by lightning and that's why the sound of the gun doesn't bother him and he's a bit slow on the uptake
2: could be
0: that it's possible (laughs) anything
1: could be possible we are dealing with very little information, and we can basically paint whatever we want on these kids. We got tabula rasa on most of these characters. I like the idea that Tuba at one point was struck by lightning, and that's why he's just a little, little off.
2: Well, oh, another more mundane uh, explanation, and uh, so they've got water there. Yep. I would imagine that they swim or go into the water. What if? Ear infection. And speaking from experience, one of my eardrums burst. I'm hard of hearing in one of my ears. Yeah. Maybe he got bad ear infections in both ears and lost some of his hearing. Could be something as simple as that. That's more mundane than being struck by lightning. Which, yeah. <laughs> which would be super cool if you survived that. I would feel like he would have like this whole sort of persona built up around that.
1: So, listeners, whichever one you like more, <laughs> ear infections or struck by lightning, honestly. <laughs> It doesn't matter which one you pick, because like I said, we get very little information about these kids, so we can say whatever we want about them. (laughs) Going back to the sound of water draining out of a water flask, because the next shot we get is that water jug just swinging back and forth, and it is streaming water out of both sides, so way to go, Maxed. Get punch a nice clean hole there. It seems to me that Max was firing this as a warning shot and did not mean to hit Savannah. Max has shot a lot of people over the course of these movies. Not like genocide levels like we're playing a video game or something but more than you can count on one hand so if he wanted to shoot savannah i feel like he would have
2: yeah i think he hit the target he was aiming at and like i said with the range that he was at less than 100 feet yeah he was totally on target there wouldn't have been a whole lot of alteration to the trajectory based on 17 years of no maintenance Mm -hmm. on an m1 carbine it would have been fine
1: it is a shame that he ruined a perfectly good water vessel though Yeah. Those can't be easy to come by. Probably have to just start over from scratch. I don't (laughs) think they have patches that they can sew into those things.
2: Everything they patches.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll bet they would repair it. Because all they would need is another piece of leather. And they sew. So yeah, I think they would repair it.
1: Everyone is looking at this water flask, which has been damaged and is leaking and probably masking the sound of someone else who is personally leaking. Mm. But they all turn around. They all look back at Max. We pan over a bunch of kids and we get to see Slake staring at Max like, what the heck did you just do? (laughs) And Max... Starts in on the next part of his address. He talked about Bartertown before, but now he's more willing to talk about himself. He says, Now listen, good. I'm not Captain Walker. It took them this long to allow Max to tell them flat out, I'm not Captain Walker. He said before, You know, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not him. I'm not that guy. He's very pointedly saying, I'm not Captain Walker. Stop trying to say I'm Captain Walker because now I've got a boomstick. <laughs>
0: And his declaration of I'm not Captain Walker is leading him into another statement.
1: Yeah, we get to hear on Friday's minute who he says that he is. So Max is going to explain to the waiting ones the outline of action that they're going to take, how things are going to proceed from here, and that is going to be immediately ignored by Savannah, which, of course, leads Max to take other courses of action before just getting fed up and chasing after her. So (laughs) that's a look forward at Friday. Come back for that, and we'll keep talking about this movie. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
0: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
1: Join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link.
0: Thank you for joining us for Minute 65 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time!